The Tom Woods Show, episode 1186. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, learn the history and economics they kept from you over at libertyclassroom.com, my flagship site. Learn from me and from other folks you can trust all the stuff they left out. Check it out at libertyclassroom.com and grab yourself a coupon at libertyclassroom.com slash coupons. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. Here is an episode I think you'll enjoy in particular for one section. Maybe you'll like the whole thing. There's a section of banter at the beginning about different aspects of my personal life that I don't know if you'll find interesting or not, but certainly I think you'll like the lightning round where, well, actually, why don't I tell you what the heck this is? This is the very last episode ever of the Johnny Rocket Launchpad, which I've been on before. I made it into an episode of the show here. Johnny Rocket's a great guy. He's in my supporting listeners group at supportinglisteners.com, as all the cool people are. And he is starting a brand new podcast called Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. So this is the last episode of the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. So for his new podcast, you can go over to thelaunchpadmedia.com. Thelaunchpadmedia.com slash blastoff is where you can find Johnny Rocket. Great guy. And in this episode, he is joined as a co-host by Sherry Voluntary. That's how she's known. And of course, she's also been a guest here on the show. And we had a great little conversation, but in particular, that lightning round where they would give me some complicated question and I had a minute to give a good libertarian answer. I think I did about as good a job as I could ever do. So I'm not going to say if only I had had this or that factor in play, maybe I could have done a better job. I don't think I could have done better than this. This is as good as it gets with me. So I hope you like it. And um, if you'd like to follow Johnny Rocket, I'll have that link up for you at tomwoods.com slash 1186. And here we go. I welcome here on the launch pad, give it up for Tom Woods! Hey, glad to be back. Man, it's great to have you back. Every time you come on, we had just a blast. We really did. And now this time you have me on and you're shutting down the show. I'm shutting it down. <laughs> it's going down. Well, I, it's it's still going to be there. I'm going to have a new show out, Tom. And Oh, I know. I know. And that'll be great. But, you know, I just figured, you know, people are gonna might get freaked out when they don't see Johnny Rocket Launchpad in their feeds anymore. And I just don't want them to freak out. I want them to know I'm going to keep my feed. It's just going to be under a different name. It's going to be fun. And I'm excited about the new adventure, the new endeavor that I'm going to pursue. Hey, so Tom, thank you so much for for being here on the show. I guess the biggest question I have to you from one podcaster to another. Now, you come from the academic side, and these may seem like obvious questions, but I don't I can't remember them ever being answered by you. You know, you come from the academic side, you're writing books, you're doing all this stuff. What made that transition into podcasting? Like what was the change like, hey, I could do this. I'm coming from an academic background now to an entertainment endeavor. What made what made that change for you? Well, I've always felt like there's not much point, at least for me, in writing and doing things that aren't read or consumed by a lot of people. I've spent my time on scholarly books and articles in peer-reviewed journals and stuff like that. I've put in my time on that stuff. But now that I've done that, I don't feel compelled to do that much more of that. I'd much rather write for many, many people than write for the you know, eight or nine, and I'm not exaggerating. It's eight or nine people reading a scholarly article in an academic journal is a lot 
well, I don't want to do that the rest of my life. So I thought I'd like to transition into being a popularizer. I mean, I still make what I think are some original contributions, but by and large, I'm trying to spread these ideas to a wide audience. I'd always enjoyed being something of an entertainer. I'd been in community theater for a long time. I enjoyed speaking in front of large groups. And then I also had this ability to teach things that were complicated in a way that people could get. When I was in high school, I was the captain of the math team. I had every nerdy credential you could possibly ask for. <laughs> and I was the kid they would go to when the coaches had some athlete who was just hopeless academically and was on the verge of being disqualified from participating in organized sports. And they would say, go to Woods, he'll get you up to speed on math. And I did that time and again. And what I did was I just thought to myself, when I was learning this, what is the way I wish they had just taught it to me from the beginning so I didn't have to struggle with it for three days trying to figure it out? Right. What do I wish they had just said that would have made it clear? So I do that. I mean, without fail, I had students say to me, well, if only my if my teacher would just teach it that way, I wouldn't have even needed your help. Okay, good. I'm, I'm serving a purpose. That's good. So we combine that. I think I am good at explaining things, and I think I can present in a way that's not like a stuffy academic, mm -hmm. but yet I have the background of an academic, and I so I can take the best of all these worlds and avoid the worst of all these worlds, and that's what's kind of made me into what I turned into. That's great. Tom, is there anything that um, now that you're like almost 1200 episodes deep into your podcast, is there anything that episode, you know, Tom Woods episode 1200 would tell Tom Woods episode one if you had the chance to do that? Boy, that's a really good one. You know, that's a toughie because I think I spend as a lot of podcasters do, so much time worried about things like audio quality, which is important, by the way, right. because you will have fewer listeners if your audio is terrible. So you do need to think about that. That's true. But podcasters think about that stuff much more than listeners do. There's so many podcasts I hear where the host comes on and says, now look, today's audio is a little bit off. You can't tell. There are like <laughs> eight people in the world who have the hearing that you'd need even to notice the difference. So not to be hung up uh, so much on that, the main thing I think I really would have told myself as I look back on it is why is episode number one starting so late? Why is it September 2013 when mm. the technology for podcasting has been around for years and you're naturally suited to it? You enjoy talking. You like to learn. You have something to say. Like I can hold a reasonably intelligent conversation with <laughs> people who are talking about all different topics. Well, that's what a podcast host should be able to do. And I wasn't doing it out of inertia. I, you know, I'll be honest. I just didn't want to try something new because new things are frightening and challenging. And I'd rather just be in my comfort zone. And man, that was such a mistake. And I think there's something you can generalize from my experience that most of the time, I can't say always, but most of the time when you're thinking, you know, I really should start doing X, Y, or Z, but the time's not right just now. A lot of times that's just an excuse because really you'll always be able to find an excuse not to start something. And there's always a reason mm -hmm. it's not quite the right time. I mean, I probably wouldn't have had any of my children if I had <laughs> sat there obsessing about when right. the right time was. I'm glad I didn't worry about that. And I just thought, well, it's going to work out somehow. And boy, has it ever. So mm -hmm. the real thing was that I delayed so darn long. That was it. I'm with you. It's like do or do not. You just got to make it happen. And it, there is never a right time to have kids, to get married. You know, it's it, it's a thing. You just got to do it. And if you put your mind to it, you got you to gotta make it happen. Tom, so this is the, you have the Contra Cruise coming up in October. Is that right? Oh, yeah. That is the most fun time you can imagine. Why don't you plug that in? Because I want to know more about this. Because me and my girlfriend are actually considering going, not this year, but the following year. 
Well, of course, if there's another one, you know, uh, we always say that. Oh, come we on. Say, you know, there, there probably not, we always joke. There's probably no chance we'll ever do another one because you know, <laughs> we, we like to play out this ridiculous marketing tactic of pretending right. that this is the last one ever. Right. So you got to play along here. I'm uh, playing along. Johnny, that uh, probably you'll never get that chance. But on the off chance that you do, <laughs> it's a tremendous time. ContraCruise.com is the website. Bob Murphy and I do it together. We've got got Jeff Dice of the Mises Institute coming along with us, uh, a couple other great special guests. We had the comedian Dave Smith, foreign policy expert Scott Horton last year. Wonderful time because what you're doing is having kind of like a luxury vacation for a week, but with people, you're hanging around with Bob and me. And you're hanging around with other really great libertarians. We, we've weeded out all the crazy, socially inept ones. <laughs> okay, that's good. Gonna that's good. Corner you and say, hey, I have this pet idea that I want to talk to you about for three hours. And because I'm a libertarian, I have no idea what social cues are. And I can't tell that you're bored out of your mind. So yeah. I'm going to keep talking for three hours. We weeded those people out. Okay, those are good. people are not going to be there. Instead, you're going to get to know people who are going to be your lifelong friends, which is what has actually happened. These folks who now, visit each other during the year because they've made such good friendships on this thing. We do a little bit of teaching. You know, you learn some things, but primarily we just have a lot of fun. Like we've played, it is so much fun. We play Family Feud, but it's libertarian questions. Like, for example, who's the most overrated person in the libertarian world? You got to answer that. And we actually surveyed 100 people just like Family Feud. It's so much fun. Fun. It's just nonstop. Then you you rotate tables at dinner, so you meet new people every night. You get to sit with our speakers. Uh, we do fun things. We do excursions when we're off the ship. You do not want it to stop, and it just goes until the wee hours of the morning. And our special guests, the funny thing was, they're not obligated to stay and hang out. But Scott Horton was talking foreign policy till 3 a.m. every single night with anybody who would listen. It was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, we actually, Sherry and I just interviewed Scott Horton. And boy, he can, he goes. He goes. Like, you ask him a question. Oh, yeah. And then like two hours oh, yeah. later, you're like, uh, Scott, next question, man. I, I could be cleaning my office while he's talking. <laughs> But that's the beautiful thing about, and he was so full of life. I don't think Scott had been on vacation. I think he told me it had been 16 years wow. since he's been on vacation. And did he ever soak this up? We went on, we went on a zip lining excursion in Jamaica. And nice. he, well, every single person at every zip lining station, Scott introduced himself and was, was in such great spirits and so excited <laughs> to be doing this. And it was just, it was so wonderful to see this guy have so much fun and not realize that he feels like he's indebted to us. We were indebted to him. That's great. Everybody was thrilled to have a chance to sit there and pick Scott Horton's brain. So that's what goes on. It really is. A, it's like a dream. At one point in the middle of this thing, Bob and I sat down and said to each other, the first one we did, this will be our third, but the first one we did, we looked at each other and said, you know, we've we've written books. We've, we've spoken all over the world and all these interesting things. But honest to goodness, this is the best thing we've ever done. Hmm. <laughs> it was that good. And people enjoyed themselves that much. And as I say, they've made lifelong friendships on this thing. We even had a guy last year who had never in his life ever met another libertarian in person. And here he wow. is, you know, we've been like 150 people and he just didn't know what to, I mean, he was almost in tears. He could not believe what he was experiencing. Wow. And it's, it sounds like Murray Rothbard's <sighs> thing too. Cause I mean, he was in search for other libertarians and there was like 40 of them apparently. And Rothbard loved to stay up until three in the morning. This would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Me too. laughs> 
Well, uh, speaking of staying up till three in the morning, I'm sure you've done that quite a bit, uh, having five girls. And um, besides, you know, God having this wicked sense of humor, what what have you learned being the father of five girls? Well, given that I I'm an only child, so I mm. grew up with no brothers or sisters. I really didn't know that much about child rearing. I just sort of thought if you raise your children the same, you teach them all the same thing, they're mm-hmm. all going to come out to be pretty much the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is so yeah. not true at all yeah. because they just have their own personalities and and I wouldn't have it any other way. How boring would that be for them yeah. to be clones of each other? They're so different. And the thing is, I see myself in every single one of them <laughs> and mostly for the good, sometimes for the bad. I say, oh, gee, I know where she got that from. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to work on that. Going to watch what I'm doing around them sometimes. But <laughs> but uh, so first of all, it's that it's it's the we sometimes give lip service to the uniqueness uh, and worth of each individual. But mm-hmm. I've really come to appreciate it. Because they've kind of gone through, it's not like we parent by assembly line, but in other words, they've gone through the the woods parenting process <laughs> and they've come out totally different. Yep. But yet yeah. they're all wonderful and sweet in their own way. And they're all intellectually curious in their own way. And my eldest, who is about to turn 15, is, uh, you know, she wants to, she does not want to be like a professional libertarian like me, <laughs> which is fine. It's, you know, it's not that many positions for that <laughs> right but she's fascinated by it I and mean, she loves ron paul she wants to read she's reading henry hazlitt right now uh, and not because i'm forcing it on that's another thing i don't want to force this stuff on them that i do but when right. they ask me something you know what do you think about this or what should we think about that i'll say well my opinion on it is and they're you know they're very much inclined to listen they know their dad is fighting for what's good they know that there are war makers out there and that their dad is doing what he can to alert people about that. And so they know he's a good guy anyway, just from their normal interaction with him. So when I give them an answer, they're inclined to, you know, think, oh, that kind of makes sense. Or they'll read a little something about it. But also, I mean, it, it, it draws you out of yourself to be a good parent mm-hmm. because – there's a part of you that wants to say to your kids, all right, sit down. I'm going to play you all my favorite music and you're going to love it. <laughs> or sit yep. down. These are my three favorite movies and you're going to love them. It, it Or these are the books that you really ought to be reading. Or I sure wish you would want to watch this lecture on YouTube. It's so tempting to do that. But at the same time, wow, they've developed into kids with their own really amazing interests. I mean, whether like, for example, my eldest has a writing coach because she wants to develop into a good writer. So I want to talk to her about her writing and the things that that she cares about. And so it's gotten to the point that I interact so well with them and connect with them that without my having to teach them, by the way, it's polite to ask people how their day was or how they're doing or what they're interested in. They just know because they see me do it. They know that when they see me, they say, hey, dad, how's your day been so far? I never had to teach them that. Right. Absolutely. And most of, you know, like my, my daughters, I have two kids too, and they were raised by me and their mom. And at the same time, they're both completely different. One's into animation, one's into singing and running. And I'm like, I don't know where they got the running part. Cause I hate running. And, uh, it's great because their mom's athletic and I'm not. So I think it, it's just a good balance. And that's why I think it's important. You know, it obviously makes sense that you get different traits from both parents. And I think it's awesome because unique individuals. Yeah, you get to see the beauty of that that unique individual as well coming into their own and that's something I've really enjoyed my son my oldest is 15 and just seeing him become you know he's a young man and seeing his interests and the things that he's similar to us and different it's it's really a beautiful process to watch happen. Beautiful is the word because also in addition to that 
it's seeing them have qualities that I don't really have or that I don't have in the abundance that they have them because I see like the generosity of some of my kids is through the roof. And I think when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been that generous. I would have thought, this is my stuff. Stay the heck away from me. For example, uh, one of my kids is very interested in animal welfare. And so she donated her birthday one year. She said, I genuinely, she was probably 13. Look, when I was 13, I ain't donating my birthday presents. You give me what I ask for. (laughs) But she said that she wanted to take the money, whatever was donated, and just give it to the local animal shelter where she was a volunteer. See, in Kansas, you could volunteer at an animal shelter, you know, with one of your parents. In Florida, because of all the transplants from New England, you know, you got to be 16 and, you know, meet 27 requirements. But when we used to live in Kansas, she could do that. And so we even made a GoFundMe out of it, and we pitched in, other people pitched in. She wound up raising about 500 bucks for, for this mm-hmm. shelter, which does not get donations in that amount very often from individuals. Mm-hmm. And I just think I would never have done that, and I never even thought to encourage her in that, that was just something she came up with. Yeah. And and speaking of, you know, with children, and this is something that I think a lot of us, um, just as libertarians, period, because many of us are so passionate, but especially as podcasters or people in media, um, finding a work-life balance. I know you've talked some about that. And um, what kind of advice can you give, you know, me as a new podcaster, other people as, you know, just in their, their regular work life, what advice would you give on finding that balance so that you, you know, you can be all the things that you need to be? Well, that's a hard one. It's, it's kind of something everybody has to work out according to his own circumstances. But I, I was, you know, I've always had time for the kids. Like even when I was in my terrible workaholic phase, from mm. close of business to the time they went to bed, that was always time with them. So they've always seen me more than they would see, you know, a, a dad who's an investment banker or something like that. Uh, these days, they see way more of me even than that. Mm-hmm. And it just comes, it, it just comes down to what is it that you want out of life? Do you want more time with your kids or not? And I really, really did. So I've just basically made it work. I worked hard enough that I can build up enough of an income that I can devote some of it to outsourcing some of my tasks, mm-hmm. some of the things that I specifically am not needed for. I'm not needed to do the audio editing on my show. I can do it in a pinch, but that's not something I have to do. And I'm slow and plotting at it and I'm not that good at it, but I can do it. Or when I make a YouTube video, which I don't do much these days, but when I used to, just editing it and getting the lower thirds in and stuff, that that would take me like at least an hour. And that's, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a pressure, an hour? I can accomplish so much in an hour. So mm-hmm. I've learned to just outsource that to freelancers. That's easier and easier now because you have freelancer.com, upwork.com. I use these sites all the time. In fact, I had a project. It was the it was Thanksgiving night, and I had a project I needed to be done for the next day. And I don't want to hire some American on Thanksgiving night who's trying to celebrate Thanksgiving with the family. So I went on <laughs> right. freelancer.com. I hired somebody out of Pakistan, out of Egypt. And the next cool. morning he had it because he didn't care. What difference does it make to him? It's just, yeah. it's just a day for him. So I'm able to do that. And, and the thing is, in a way, it actually does pay for itself because I'm able to then to devote myself to things that are remunerative for me, sure. more so than the money I would have saved by doing the video myself. So that's, for me, the lifesaver has been outsourcing. And, cool. and again, I, I couldn't have done it from the start because I didn't have the money to do it from the start. But mm-hmm. I worked to the point, I made this thing a going concern so that I could then live the life I want. Right on, Mister Mister Woods. Really quick, just before we wrap this up, I know you have a you have a limited time with us, but for tradition and tradition purposes only, 
would you like to play Rocket Fire? Oh, for crying out loud, how could I not? And I'm so <laughs> bad at this, by the way. You know, the, Michael Malice is great at this stuff where it's a no, question that gets great. thrown at him. Not only does he have an immediate answer, he has a witty answer yes. that is devastating like he's thrown a machete across the room. <laughs> I am the exact opposite of this. I have these plodding, awful answers. So just understand that we have to measure my worth in ways other than how I accomplished this particular lightning round. <laughs> all right. Well, Mr. Woods, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Uh, all right. All right. Yes. All right. Question one. Was child labor necessary, especially from a historical perspective? Wait a minute. I can't remember. How long can my answers be? Like 10 seconds? 30 to 60 seconds. Oh, under six? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Answer. Child labor is highly undesirable, but obviously necessary in societies where they have very little capital because without it, families starve to death. And there are worse things than child labor, namely mass starvation. That's why families do it even now in some of the more backward parts of the world. Even the World Health Organization admits the reason that there is child labor is that without it, the families would starve. What you need is more capitalism, more capital to create more physical abundance, and therefore you don't need the child's labor anymore, and you can send the kid to school or do something else with them other than work. All right, on question two. Is there such thing as a free market monopoly? Uh, no, there isn't. There may be just one firm, but that doesn't make it a monopoly because there is always potential competition. Alcoa was the the aluminum supplier for a long time, but it kept its prices super low because it knew there were substitutes for aluminum. There were always potential competitors. And even the courts admitted this when they brought Alcoa into the courts and they said, well, look, how could anyone compete with you? You keep prices so low. Right. Well, okay. Well, if they keep prices so low, what's the problem? Right on. Right on. Question three. Do people really believe in equality? I don't think so, because if they did, they would move to Malawi, uh, one of the, <laughs> if, if not the poorest country in the world. They would give away all their stuff. They wouldn't just complain about the 1% in the U.S. They would say, wait a minute, in the globe, I'm the 1%. The average American is in the 1% for the whole globe. Right. And so the rest of the world is the 99%. And so therefore, you should give away your house and your car and not have a college education until all these other people have those things. Nobody's doing that, so I don't believe it. Right on. Question four. What do you prefer, Bitcoin or gold? Oh, that's terrible. I That one I can't answer <laughs> because I think there's a merit in both and I hold both. Okay, very cool. Question five. Have anti-discrimination laws been helpful to society or a harm? And should they be abolished today? They've probably been helpful for some people, but for society as a whole, I think their merits have been exaggerated. For example, the statistics on, let's say, black employment and uh, Hispanic employment and Asian employment show no acceleration in these trends after the 1964 Civil Rights Act. These were trends that were already existing for increased employment for all these groups. So first of all, we've exaggerated the extent that government has solved this problem. But secondly, it's led to an extremely litigious society where everybody alleges discrimination at every turn. So everybody's right. terrified uh, in the labor market. And plus, it makes people assume that people of certain backgrounds are probably unqualified because they got in because of anti-discrimination law, so-called. It makes people say, well, gee, do I want to go to that doctor? Did that doctor really satisfy the requirements the same way everybody else exactly. did? So it puts a stigma yep. on those people, and it's unfair to everybody. I agree. I agree. Question six. If an employer takes government subsidies, should they still be able to punish private employees of their company for free speech issues? Oh, that's a technical one. 
Um, I would need an example of what you mean. So if I'm a business and somebody, and I take government subsidies, which I am therefore technically not really a public entity, could I still fire them if I don't agree with what they say? I guess I would say yes, simply because if I give any other answer, then <laughs> almost any firm could be alleged to be getting government subsidies because they would say, well, you're using the government Ooh. roads, you use the government postal service, the government subsidized three of the inventions that you used. They'll come up with all kinds of rationales That's as true. to why I can't run my business the way I want. So I tend to want to nip it in the bud. I'm with you on that. Good answer. Question seven. Are the homeless violating people's property rights by camping on public property? Let's just say in front of your house or your business, for example. Well, that's hard to answer because whose property is it? Is public property government property? Well, I don't think government acquires property legitimately. Is public property really the property of the people? Well, in that case, what do we do? Have a democratic vote as to how the property is to be used? Do we vote to kick that person off? This is the problem with public property. There, It's hard to know exactly what should happen. In my, on my private property, if I want to invite you in and give you a warm meal and a place to sleep, that's my prerogative. If I want to say go jump in a lake, that's also my prerogative. We wind up right. in all these interminable disputes because there's no clear owner. So I wouldn't say they're violating any clear property right, but I would say it's best to just privatize all these things so we can come up with a rational, peaceful solution that satisfies everybody. Great answer. Tom, you're doing great. Perfect. <sighs> Thanks. You're doing good. You're doing great. I thought it was going to be like 10 second answers. I stink at those. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Question eight. Does public nudity violate anyone's rights? Well, again, what do we mean by public? It depends on who owns the property. Right. So what, right. what it boils down to is if you have a private beach, it's all private property, do whatever the heck you want to do on that beach. But public, well, again, if it's public property, does that mean I own it? Like you and I together collectively own it? The government owns it? Well, whoever the owner is makes the rules. And the problem is, as with schooling, well, with public schooling, what's supposed to be taught? Do we teach this? Do we teach that? Do we teach this language? Do we teach that language? It's interminable. Unless there's private property, there is no way to answer this. So you're not strictly violating anybody's rights. But at the same time, if we say, can bums sleep in the library because it's publicly funded? Well, I don't know. Does that mean we, we have to have that position? How about exactly. the fact that since I'm being robbed to support the library in the first place, to add insult to injury, you make me deal with violent, aggressive people while I'm there? Maybe you could enforce some sensible rules that would approximate what a private owner would enforce. Right on. Right on. Question nine. Historically, has there ever been a government program that actually may have done some good? I think there are plenty of government programs that have done some good. The question is, compared to what? Of course, look, That's if good governments good take point. billions yeah. and billions and billions and trillions of dollars from you and they accomplish no good whatsoever, that would be a miracle. I mean, of course, these people have to fall ass backwards into something good once in a while. <laughs> and if they do right. build a building that you could find some use for, the point is, what would we have done with those resources otherwise? Obviously, we would have done something that's higher, that has a higher value in people's minds because you didn't have to steal the money for it to go into those purposes. All we can know is we've lost some utility because people did not voluntarily consent to whatever the project was. Exactly. The seen and the unseen. Question 10. Can someone be free and ignorant? Ah, uh, well, sure. Um, I know people say, well, if you're ignorant, then it'll be easier for people to take advantage of you and enslave you. That's true. That's why we want there to be as little ignorance as possible. It depends on how you define ignorance, because there are a lot of people who have had a lot of formal schooling who have been quite happy to enslave themselves or to enslave others. Whereas, right. you know, I think there are plenty of people who are amiable dolts who will get by just fine. It would never occur to them to vote for some 
New Deal or vote for something to run other people's lives. They're happy to just run their own lives. They're modest enough to know the, their own limitations. It's the smart people who think they have the skills to run everybody else's lives that I'm more worried about. Right on, and that's rocket fire. Give it up for Mr. Tom Woods. Yeah. Jeez, that was hard. Was it really? I thought you did great, man. Oh, thanks, but I got to go take a nap. My brain isn't supposed to work that fast. I'm supposed to ask a question. The guest answers for five minutes. I relax, stretch, whatever. This is nuts. You did great. That was fun. I have to say, I did enjoy that. Thank you. That was the final rocket fire from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. And uh, Tom, I don't know if you have any dot coms you want to give out before you roll, because I know you got a boogie. I have a couple. Do please visit me at TomWoods.com. And I know a lot of people, they don't want to get email, but that's because you haven't read my emails. I send out good, <laughs> meaty, fun, informative, devastating, killer emails that mm-hmm. people in the know enjoy reading. And you should hop onto that list. You can get one of my free e- I got ebooks on every topic libertarians have to struggle with. Like, oh, if you were in charge, there'd be no schools and everybody would be an idiot. And all that, <laughs> right. all these right. things that you hear, I got a little ebook to help smash all of them over at tomsfreebooks.com. And when you get one of those free books, you get added onto my free newsletter, which with one click you can unsubscribe from, but you'd have to have something wrong with you mentally to want to do that. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They're great. I get your newsletters. I read them. I think they're great. And actually, that's the, where I got that question about equality. Does everyone want equality? And that was a newsletter you had yeah, just I, recently. I was, I've been harping on equality for a couple of days. Because whenever I can't think of something to write about, I write about equality. Because I just <laughs> <laughs> there's so much propaganda about it. It's just an endless supply of emails. Always an issue. It's always an issue. There's, you know, we want equality. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you really <laughs> wanted equality. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Tom. Uh, Mr. Woods, thank you so much for being here. It's a, It was a great honor for you to be here. Thank on you. Our, our last official show. The pleasure is mine. Thanks to both of you. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for today. Now, tomorrow we've got a highly unusual topic, but a very interesting and important one, and I hope you're going to like it. It's a very interesting kind of simulation of two different ways of organizing society and then seeing which one wins out and yields you the better results. That's going to be very interesting tomorrow. Let me remind you, if you're online, which you are, in one way or another, you are, and you're not monetizing anything, then you're doing it wrong. you got the Internet here. The Internet does all the work for you. You just got to take a few steps and monetize something. And I show you exactly how to do this step by step, step by freaking step in an ebook I'm giving away for free. I wrote this thing from scratch myself to help you. And you can get it for free over at pathstoincome.com. It's for all you entrepreneurs and wantrepreneurs online. Check it out at pathstoincome.com. And I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.